you guys how's everybody you good are you warm I love this weather this is like my weather <clears throat> I went to school in Chicago and so when this comes around it's like the perfect two days a year I love it I love it it makes me so happy but I don't have to live through it all winter so well I am not Chad as you know I am far more attractive than Harry and uh, it's it's good to see you guys this morning um, it's it's a blessing to be in a warm room together and worship um, so we're gonna we're gonna dive right in but it's good to have you welcome to Carpenter's Way if if you're if you're new here, or this is your first time, again, I'm not usually up here, but they throw me up here when they need a nice face. So oh. it's, good to, it's good to see you guys. Welcome. That's your cue, Mom. <laughs> Who has held the oceans in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice behold our God see his throne, come let us adore him, behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore him. 
scripture this morning from first chronicles david praised the lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying praise be to you lord the the god of our father israel from everlasting to everlasting yours lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. rage kingdoms rise and fall there is still one king reigning over all so I will not fear for this truth remains that my God is the ancient of days Oh my God. 
God, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for these songs that um, some, some written recently, some written many generations ago, but the truth remains the same, God, that you are worthy, you are glory, you are holy, and uh, the, the fact that we get to enter into presence with you in salvation is truly just an undeserved privilege. God, as we, as we enter into this time of Romans, I pray you just um, edify us, you grow us, prepare our hearts, um, remind us that this, this is all about you. And uh, just be with Pastor Mark as he, as he guides through these scriptures. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. We are going to dismiss the kids at this time through third grade, K through third for GPS, uh, where they go into, uh, back into the Kids Connection Center and, and are taught the Word of God at their level. Um, I, let me just start by saying I know we're a couple days late, but if you have served in the military in your life, we are so thankful for that. We get to meet this morning because of the, uh, of the price you were willing to pay, and we, have, we will never forget that, and I just want to take a moment to thank you. It, it, it doesn't matter which branch of the service. I think there's like six now. I want you to know that I have applied for the space service because everybody needs a chaplain, and they didn't even respond. But uh, in any case, thank you so much, you guys. Hey, if you did not get, we're going to be having communion at the end of the service. And at Carpenter's Way, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are welcome to participate with us. So uh, if, you, if you did not get those elements, I know Cecil's over here and uh, somebody's over, and, and Robert's over here. Would you just get their attention as we do announcements so that you can make sure you get those elements? Uh, we don't pass the plate anymore because of COVID and spitting and all that stuff. And so we use the communion snack pack. So in any case, so I, I did want to highlight you on that. Uh, one more announcement about the today, and then I'm going to show you something. Um, and that is tonight at 5 o'clock, we have a business meeting, and we've been talking about it for two weeks. Uh, for those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way, uh, the membership of Carpenter's Way meet once a year, and we vote on the budget for the next year, so we'll be voting on our budget for 2023, as well as uh, church officer nominations. We have a nominee for an elder. We have a nominee for a, a mission investment team member and a finance team member. Those have been out there for two weeks. You can grab one after. We also have a, uh, we made a, we, we are desiring to make a change in the Constitution to specify that uh, all of our support, our, our uh that we are an autonomous church that chooses to participate with the Southern Baptist Convention as it relates to the International Mission Board. So before it just said the SBC, now it's going to be specifically the International Mission Board. And that's really not a change of policy. It's just more specific so that we're more clear on what we do. So, uh, okay? You can say okay now. Okay, good. Guess what? It feels like, now please don't be mad, okay? I'm going to say something here. Christmas, don't be mad. I love Thanksgiving. It's like my favorite holiday. I just love Thanksgiving. The food, the family, all that stuff. But Christmas is coming. Watch this. A baby born in a manger, sent by God to save us all. Come and experience the wonder of Christmas. Okay, so that is, we're going to put that on Facebook, we're going to put it all over the place, because for the month, and, and let me give context, for those of you who are visiting especially, at Carpenter's Way on Sunday mornings, 
95, 98% of the time, we go verse by verse through a book. That is intentional. We want you to not only understand the Scriptures, but we want to, we want to model how to, ha- how to learn from the Scriptures. But during this Christmas season, we're going to take a little breath, and we're going to do a Christmas season, so starting the, uh, a Christmas season theme. So starting the first Sunday in December through Christmas Eve, which is December 24th this year, um, we're actually going to... You wouldn't believe the questions I get about that. So, uh, so we, I just want to be clear. So we're going to have uh, video vignettes. I'm going to be speaking on those themes. We're going to deal with peace and hope and joy. And there's a lot of people discouraged this time of the year. So if you've been wondering when you can invite a friend or family that may not even believe in God, may not even celebrate Christmas, man, this is a great season to do it. And I want to encourage you. And uh, every seven years, Christmas falls on a Sunday morning. And every seventh year, I go through the pain of the griping because we do an 1130 service. In, in every Hallmark movie you've ever seen, they all sing in Christmas morning. Did, did you know that? Okay, it doesn't matter if you knew it or not. But, but that's one of the things. Well, we do that every seven years. And I know immediately if you're a parent, you're like, my kids are going to be so grumpy. They're not asleep anyway. And we all know that Santa comes between two and four. So it's not a big deal. So, but that's uh, this year, uh, our Christmas Eve service, and it will wrap up our series. We'll have a couple videos, but it's going to be really, really powerful this year as to who this baby was and why he offers hope. And uh, it's a great opportunity for you to invite family and friends. I can't say that enough, or neighbors. And, uh, and so uh, that's, that video is, is part of it. Uh, but uh, we're going to be doing that every Sunday, again, starting in December. So, and then we'll, we'll get back into our Roman study after the first of the year. So that's the first thing I wanted to announce. Second of all, so I got some Christmas stuff to let you know about what's going on this season. The second thing is, as you know, our holiday real ministry, our big-time ministry is Operation Christmas Child. And we have been doing this since Neela led it 42 years ago. Uh, right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Neela, you're not that old. It was amazing. You started at seven. It's, inc- it's incredible. But she, I, I really, th- I think you had a big, you, you introduced us to Samaritan Purse Operation Christmas Child. And we've, we've had others lead it and pick it up through the years. And we ended up a few years ago, uh, b- quite a few years ago now, but being the regional hub for Operation Christmas Child. For those of you who don't know what Operation Christmas Child is, you have on your seat or near you, there's a little brochure, but it is Samaritan Purse's biggest evangelistic outreach that's global. It goes into, all, I, I really want to say every country in the world, including countries that have Christianity outlawed. They make their way in there. And what, what they do is not just during this season, but throughout the year, these presents make their way into evangelical churches that use it to draw in families, and they present the gospel to these families. And for those that are interested, they invite them That's called the greatest gift. And then they invite those families, and especially the children, to meet 11 weeks after in order to teach them what's called the greatest journey, and that is discipleship, how to have a relationship with God. So that's really cool, but i got to tell you the coolest thing that happens, and I've mentioned this before, but it's so important. Many of these pastors that are global don't have any training. God's called them into ministry. They, they, they open the word, which they're supposed to do, but they have no idea how to intentionally disciple God's people. And so what's cool is on the side, they learn how to disciple people. They're being trained by Samaritan's Purse Ministries. And it is, you guys, 
Uh, it is a phenomenal ministry. It is evangelical in nature. It is how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I couldn't be more excited that we participate with this. So that starts tomorrow, uh, our collection. Uh, tomorrow and for the next week. For seven days it happens. And I want to thank you guys for signing up this week because we have a lot of people that are involved. If you haven't signed up and you'd like to serve, there's an, a few hours each day where people can drop off their boxes or or regional uh, people that are collecting and crating them can actually bring them in. And then a week from tomorrow, the Monday before Thanksgiving, uh, we'll have two semis out here and we will load the semi-trucks. And on that day, we need between, I think it starts at two. Is, is Chastity here this morning? She, oh, Chastity. So is two when, when you want to load those trucks or when would you like? So noon to like five-ish? Okay, so anytime between noon, the earlier in the afternoon you come, the better, because the trucks are here and we can start loading stuff up. But we need, it's not just men, men and women with strong backs. Are we going to have a forklift just here, do you know? Okay, so there's a forklift that we use and stuff, but we just need help loading them into the semis. So if you're available for an hour or two or the whole afternoon on, on Monday, a week from tomorrow, man, we can use your help. And if you'd like to assist, look, if you don't have a strong back, we still need your help collecting boxes this week. You can sit at the table and register them or, or uh, help people come in. But it is, a, it is a wonderful, wonderful week. And if you've never participated, steal a couple hours. Even if the list is full, just, just sign up and, and come join us. It's a, it's a wonderful time. And it is, it is a, it's a super important ministry. So, okay, so Operation Christmas Child. Oh, women's ministry. What's the date of your event, Julie? So December 4th, ladies, you are having a Christmas party here. That's a Sunday, right, Jules? So it's a Sunday. So you come to church in the morning, you shop all afternoon, and you come here for a party at 5 o'clock in the evening. And, uh, and that's what it's going to be. That's, that's what they're gearing it around, just a time for you to hang out together and all. And, uh, but, that, but, but Julie has asked me to ask you if you wouldn't mind to help them know how many to count on. Uh, there is a sign-up in the welcome area uh, for that. So uh, another thing, I mean, we got so much going on this Christmas. Another thing is we have a group of people that, that wanted to put a float together for the Lubkin Parade. What we've decided to go with is drink your way into heaven theme with a bar on it. And why are you clapping? Another week to just express we're a lousy Baptist church. Okay. If you would like to complain about jokes like that, it's Jeff, J-E-F-F. But no, uh, uh, Leslie Cook is, uh, is organizing this, and if you would like to be on the float, if you would like to participate, she is in charge completely, and if you, even, even right now, you can text Dolores or you can email Dolores at dolores at cwbc.org and say, how do I get in touch with Leslie? We'll put Leslie in touch with you, but I know she's looking at help and creativity and stuff like that, so if you're interested, it's, it's just a lot of fun, and, uh, and we would love you to participate with that. Mark Strong. Oh, there you are. He has a final announcement this morning, then we're going to get into Romans. A question first. Can I drive the forklift? Wait, wait, just a second. Hold on. Can I drive the forklift? Is it on yet? Yeah. yeah, there you go. Okay, so I can drive the forklift? You cannot drive the forklift. Uh, just a, a quick <laughs> announcement. You know, I was reminded this morning that, um, you know, each week uh, we come, we get to sit as a church family and focus our attention on worship. And every week we're pouring into the Word and we're encouraged in the Word. And then we have people, you know, anytime we call to the church, we can get an answer or we can get prayer. We can get anything that we need if we just make a call. 
And when we, we have people here that do things behind the scenes that we don't really even know about from week to week. So I just say all that because this is the time of year when we take to show our appreciation to our staff by taking up a love offering. And we're going to take those offerings up until December the 11th, which is a Sunday. And there's some little pink envelopes in the back. If you'd like to take one of those and make a donation to the love offering, we'll be taking those and distributing those equally after December 11th. So we appreciate it, and thank you. Thanks, Mark. Here, I'll take it. All right. You ready to get back into Romans? Such a good text this week. All right. So last week's text ended uh, with Romans chapter 4, verse 25, the last verse in that chapter, and, and this is what it said. Jesus, he, was handed over to die because of our sins. Okay? So that's why he died. Why did they kill Jesus? Because of our sins. They didn't have to know they were killing him for that reason. It was prophesied, but that's why he was handed over. And he was raised to life. Well, why did he rise from the dead? To prove that he was God. No, that's not why he rose to life. He rose to life to make us right with God. So in the resurrection, there are uh, some stories and illustrations that are worthy of repeating. And I want to share with you in the opening of our time together one of those stories that most of you have probably heard, but I think every one of us that have heard it, you kind of reflect, wow, that's such a good illustration. Those who haven't, it's, it's worth it. So if you'll bear with me. The story is about a, 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 a professor at a small liberal arts college that was Christian in its base, and the man's name was Dr. Christensen. He had taught the required survey course in Christianity at this particular institution that every student was required to take. And as is the case in most Christian institutions that started out that way, it had become very liberal in its leaning. And frankly, the only thing that they had maintained that was Christian was this class. Although Dr. Christensen tried hard to communicate the essence of the gospel to every student coming through, he found that most of his students looked upon the course with nothing but required drudgery and didn't actually put much effort into it or pay attention. Despite his best efforts, most students refused to take Christianity serious at all. This year, Dr. Christensen had decided that a, had a special student named Steve, and he had decided to do something unique with Steve. You see, Steve was only a freshman, but was, uh, was, was studying with the intent of going to seminary after college. Steve was popular. He was well-liked, and he was an imposing physical specimen. He was the starting center on the school football team and was the best student in the professor's class. One day, Dr. Christensen asked Steve to stay after class so they could talk with him. Dr. Christensen asked Steve, how many push-ups can you do? He said, well, I do about 200 every night before I go to bed. 200? That's pretty good, Steve, Dr. Christensen said. Do you think you could do 300? Steve replied, I, I don't know. I've, I've never done 300 in one setting. He said, do you think you could? Dr. Christensen asked him. I, I can certainly try. Steve, listen, can you do 300 sets of 10 push-ups, please. I have a class project in mind, and I need you to do around 300 push-ups and sets of 10 for this to work. Can you do it? I need you to tell me yes or no. Steve said, well, I, I think I, yes, I can do it. And Dr. Christensen said, good. I need you to do this on Friday. Let me explain what I have in mind. Friday came. Steve got to class early, and he sat in the front of the room. When class started, the professor pulled out a huge box of donuts. Now, these weren't your normal kind of donuts. They were extra fancy, big, 
and attractive, the kind that even if you don't like simple donuts, you would want to eat or at least lick the cream off the top or out of the center. <laughs> Everyone was pretty excited. First, that it was Friday. Second of all, that it was the last day of that particular class. And they were going to get out an early start on the weekend with a party in Dr. Christensen's class. Dr. Christensen went to the first girl in the first row and the first seat. Cynthia, would you like to have one of these donuts? To which she responded, absolutely. Dr. Christensen then turned to Steve and asked, Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so Cynthia can have a donut? Sure. Steve jumped from his desk to do a quick 10 push-ups. He got up again, sat at his desk, and Dr. Christensen put a donut on Cynthia's desk. Dr. Christensen then went to Joe, the next person, and he said, Joe, do you want a donut? Well, yeah. Dr. Christensen asked, Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so Joe can have a donut? Steve did 10 push-ups, and Joe got a donut. And so it went down the first aisle. Steve did 10 push-ups for every person before they got their donut. And down the second aisle until Dr. Christensen came to Scott. Scott was on the basketball team and, and, and was in as good a condition as Steve physically. He was popular and never lacking for female companionship. The professor st uh, stood before him and said, Scott, do you want a donut? Scott's reply was, well, yeah, but I can do my own push-ups. Right? Dr. Christensen said, no, Steve. No, son, Steve has to do them for you. Then Scott said, well, I don't want one then. Dr. Christensen shrugged his shoulders and then turned to Steve and said, Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so Scott can have a donut he doesn't want? <laughs> With perfect obedience, Steve started to do 10 push-ups. Scott said, hey, I said I didn't want one. Dr. Christensen said, look, it's my classroom, my class, my desks, and these are my donuts. Just leave it on the desk if you don't want it. And he put a donut on Scott's desk. Now, by this time, Steve had begun to slow down a little. He stayed on the floor between sets. It, it took too much effort to be getting up and down. He could start to see a little perspiration coming out around his brow. Dr. Christensen started down the third row. Now the students were beginning to get a little angry. Dr. Christensen asked Jenny, Jenny, do you want a donut? Sternly, she said, no, I do not. Then Dr. Christensen turned to Steve and said, Steve, will you please do 10 push-ups so Jenny can have a donut that she doesn't even want? Steve did 10. Jenny got a donut. By now, a growing sense of uneasiness had filled the room. The students were beginning to say no, and, and there were all these uneaten donuts sitting on desks desk before students who refused to eat them. Steve had also become, begun really to put forth a lot of extra effort to get these push-ups done for each donut. There began to be a small pool of sweat on the floor beneath his face. His arms and his brow uh, were beginning to get red because of the physical effort he was having to put forth. Dr. Christensen then asked Robert, who was the most vocal unbeliever in the class, to watch Steve do a push-up, just to make sure he did the full 10 push-ups in a set that he couldn't bear to watch all of Steve's work for all of those uneaten donuts. He sent Robert over there to where Steve was so Robert could count the set and watch Steve closely. Dr. Christensen started down the fourth row. During his class, however, some students from other classes had begun to wander in and sat down on the steps along the radiators that ran down the aisles of the room. When the professor realized this, he did a quick count and saw that there were now 34 students in the room. He started to worry about whether or not Steve would be able to make it. Dr. Christensen went to the next person and the next person, and the next. And near the end of that row, Steve was really having a rough time. He was taking a lot more time to complete each set. Steve asked Dr. Christensen, do I have to make my nose touch on each one? Dr. Christensen thought for a moment, and he looked at Steve, and he said, well, Steve, they're your push-ups. You're in charge now. You can do them any way you want. And Dr. Christensen went on. 
It was a few moments later. Great, uh, Jason, a recent transfer student, came into the room and was uh, came to the room and was about to come in when all the students yell at exactly the same time. No, don't come in. Stay out. Jason, Jason didn't know what was going on. Steve picked up his head and said, "No, no, let him come in." Professor Christensen said, "You realize that if Jason comes in, you're going to have to do ten push-ups for him." Steve said, "Yeah, let him come in. In fact, go ahead and give him the donut." And Dr. Christian said, said, okay, Steve, I'll let you get Jason's out of the way right now. Jason, do you want a donut? Jason, new to the room, hardly knew what was going on. He said, yeah, yeah, I'd love a donut. Give me the beautiful one. Steve, will you please do 10 push-ups so that Jason can have a donut? Steve did 10 push-ups very slowly and with great effort. Jason, bewildered, was handed a donut and sat down now that he understood what was happening. Dr. Christensen finished the fourth row and then started on the visitors seated by the heaters. Steve's arms were now shaking with each push-up in a struggle to lift himself against the force of gravity. Sweat was profusely dropping off of his face at this time. There was no sound except for heavy breathing, and there was not a dry eye in the room. The very last two students in the room were two young women. Both were cheerleaders, both very popular. Dr. Christensen went to the first girl, whose name was Linda, the second to the last, and said, Linda, do you want a donut? Linda said very sadly, No, but thank you anyway. Professor Christensen quietly asked Steve, would you please do 10 push-ups so that Linda can have a donut she doesn't really want? Grunting from the effort, Steve did 10 very slow push-ups for Linda. Then Dr. Christensen turned to the last girl, Susan. Susan, would you like a donut? Susan, with tears flowing down her face, began to cry, Dr. Dr. Christensen, why can't I help him? Dr. Christensen, now with tears of his own, said, no, Steve has to do it alone. I've given him the task, and he's in charge of seeing that everyone has the opportunity for a donut, whether they want it or not. You see, when I decided to have a party the last day of class, I looked at my grade book. Steve here is the only student with a perfect grade. Everyone else has failed the test, skipped class, even offered me inferior work intentionally. Steve told me that that in football practice, when a player messes up, he must do 10 push-ups. I told Steve that none of you could come to my party unless he paid the price by doing push-ups for you. He and I made a deal that for your sakes, you would do 10 push-ups so that Susan can have a donut. Susan, would you like a donut? As Steve very slowly finished his last push-up, with the understanding that he had accomplished all that was required of him, having done 350 push-ups, his arms buckled beneath him and he fell to the floor. Dr. Christensen Yeah, you're all there. It's very quiet in this room. Dr. Christensen turned to the room and said, and so it was that our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross said to the Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. With the full understanding that he had done everything that was required of him, he yielded up his life. And like some of those in this room, many of us leave that gift on our desk, uneaten, unenjoyed, to sit there and rot. Two students helped Steve get up off the floor and into his seat, physically exhausted but wearing a thin smile. Well done, good and faithful servant, said the professor, adding not all sermons need to be preached in words. Turning to his class, the professor said, my wish is that you might understand and fully comprehend all of the riches of grace and mercy that have already been paid for through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who spared not the only begotten Son, but gave him up for us for the whole church now and forever. 
whether or not we choose to accept His gift, the price has been paid. Wouldn't you be foolish and ungrateful to leave it lying on the desk? Isaiah 53 said this of Jesus 700 years before He was born. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet He never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He would be put in a a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, He'll have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that has been accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Look, one of the problems of being raised in the church or in the Bible Belt is that we've heard the story of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so many times, it's lost its awesomeness. It just does. It's so familiar. But it is just as awesome and just as amazing. And as we already read in in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And He was raised to life to make us right with God. And as I was thinking about the message this week, actually it started last Sunday right after our time together in God's Word in Romans chapter 4. And I was sitting with our Bible study class and I looked around the room and I realized that every person in that class had accepted Christ's offer to forgive their sin. To the best of my knowledge, I believe that. And I realized at that moment that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, every one of us are going to spend eternity together. And so before we jump into five this morning, I just wanted to take a moment and say that most of you in this room I know personally, and most of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and it's a pretty remarkable thing that our gathering this morning will never, ever end. How cool is that? We don't just go to church on Sundays. We're going to spend eternity together around the throne of God because of what Jesus did. That is remarkable. It is remarkable to think that right now, according to this text, we literally stand before God pure and holy no matter what we did last week because of what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. And that is, that is an overwhelming thought that, that we get to spend eternity together. And if you have never accepted God's offer to forgive your sin, it's even more ridiculous than having 10 push-ups done for a donut that you leave on your desk. And we invite you to accept his offer to forgive your sin and join us as children of God. You don't have to be Baptist. You don't even have to go to church. You just need to call on the name of the Lord. It says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead dealing with your sin, then all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to pray a prayer. You don't have to be baptized. But you do have to acknowledge you're a sinner and He's the only one that can save you. And by faith, trust that He'll take care of it. That's what we've been looking at lately. And I want to pray that the Lord helps us as we're, as we're building this, this building on top of this incredible foundation. And it, I just want to take a second and ask God to speak to us in a special way as we, as we prepare for our communion time this morning. Father, we thank you for this story, for illustrations that move us and make us realize in a new way what you have done on our behalf. Father, I want to thank you this morning that most people in this room I get to spend the next billion years with because they have called on the name of the Lord. And I pray for those in this room who have never done that and those who are watching online who have not done that. I pray that wherever they are, today would be the day of their salvation, that they would acknowledge to you that they're a sinner and they know you're the only one that can save them and you have already paid the price so that they can have eternal life and they would accept you today just like those kids accepted those donuts. It's as simple and complex as that. That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I pray that you would save those who aren't and for those of us who are. I pray that you would restore in us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The problem with the study on Romans or Galatians or soteriology as we've called it or salvation is that, again, as I've already said, we've heard it so many times and we really think that we have a grasp on it. Not only does its freshness die, and, and, and I'm not dogging us for that. It's just, it's just one of the weaknesses of hearing it 100,000 times in our life. And, and celebrating it at Easter, it just becomes kind of old news. But one of the other things that happens as we have fine-tuned how we present the gospel to the lost is we have so simplified it that we have forgotten what happens at the moment of salvation. It was in John 10.10 that Jesus said this, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And if you'd leave that up there for a few moments, Kevin, I want to talk about this for a second. This is a very common verse that is talked about in health and wealth gospel churches. They claim from this verse that Abundant life means more than enough wealth, that you can be rich if you just trust in the Lord and pray right, or if you're faithful enough, God will reward you with good health, because clearly that's an abundant life. The problem with that is, it says a few verses after and before that in this world you'll have trouble, but, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so those on the conservative side, the opposite side of the health and wealth doctrine churches, is those that just try to kind of ignore this passage, and if they refer to it, <clears throat> usually it has something to do with, well, even if it's not true, at least I will have lived a good life, because the Christian life is a great life. And the problem with that is, you're still feeding your flesh. And the other thing is, that's not what it says. You see, the, the, Christianity, like culture today, Christianity has followed a culture into, what can you get from God? How does this benefit you now? And it's begun to feed into the lie of YOLO, that, that phrase, you only live once. And that is a satanic lie. This morning in our text in Romans chapter 5, I believe that Paul actually addresses what really happens, what all happens at the moment of salvation. We just learned in the end of chapter 4 that Jesus died for our sins that we are brought to life with him. So surely, you know, the questions that Billy Graham would ask, that D.L. Moody would ask, you don't want to go to hell, do you? No. 
then pray this prayer, walk this aisle, be baptized in this baptismal, and you will be saved. The problem is, we never follow it up with what all happened at the moment of salvation. And Romans 5, remember where we've been in Romans. Chapter 1 tells us that everyone is lost. Everyone. And that explains why the world is so worldly. Chapter 2 says even those who claim to be followers of Jesus or Jews, the self-righteous person, the person who is a moralist or a religious person, has a tendency to think they're okay and they're not okay according to Romans chapter 2. Chapter 3 is the summary, the first half of the first two chapters, which says all have sinned, all, everyone, religious or not, uh, moralist or not, Jew or Gentile, all fall short of God's standard. And then the end of chapter 3 tells us what God did in order to make us right with himself outside of the parameters of the law. That we can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only way to be made right. And chapter 4 explains what that looked like in the life of a couple people. We looked at Abraham last week. How did God make a covenant with Abraham, helping him look forward like we look back at the cross? Abraham was looking forward to an unknown Savior that he looked forward to. We read it in Job's story, where Job said, all I know is that my Redeemer lives and one day he'll walk upon the earth. The fact that he talked about a Redeemer means he had some sense that God would forgive him. But what is amazing to me is that we don't deal, if this is something Jesus said, which it is, and everything Jesus said is true, which it is, then we've got to have an understanding of that that works within the context. How can I have an abundant life if my life is troubled? How can Stephen, for instance, who was stoned to death in Acts chapter early, <laughs> Stephen stoned to death, I think it's around six or seven, how is it that he had an abundant life? And chapter 5 of Romans begins with this. Therefore, okay, therefore, go back to chapter 4, verse 25. Remember in the original, there's no chapter breaks. Because you've been saved through faith in Christ, because Jesus is a sacrifice, because of that, therefore, that, that you're saved, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, please notice this is past tense, so it is a statement to those already saved. This does not apply to you if you're not saved, no matter what the world tells you. This is only for those who have accepted by faith God's substitutionary sacrifice for the penalty and payment of sin that you and I deserve. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have, now it's present tense, peace with God. Another boring statement, right? It's not. That's the whole enchilada. We have peace with God because of what... Half of you just went, ooh, enchilada sounds good for lunch. <laughs> we have peace with God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Salvation isn't really, really about heaven and hell. It's about me and God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross that, that uh, has saved us already from the penalty of our sin from the really, really bad news we studied for the first month and a half of our study in Romans, we have more than heaven as a destination. We actually, right now, at this second, no matter what you did this week, you can have peace with God, which arguably, you ready for me to quote, ready for this? It's going to be a big statement. Arguably is the most important person in all of eternity to have peace with. 
I mean, it's, it's kind of like we've forgotten God in the whole equation. You don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, no, I don't. Then pray this prayer and hell is not in your future. That's the wrong question. I understand it's one of the benefits of salvation, but this was always, has always been about God and man having a relationship. God and one person, you. That's all this has ever been about. It's not been about a political movement. It's not been about church attendance. It's not been about anything but God wanting a relationship with you. And one of the things that we're learning as we study through the scriptures is how badly and how hard God worked to make us right with himself so that we can have fellowship with him. He did all the work. There's never been a man or woman who sought God properly. God has been seeking us. We didn't even know, Isaiah said, that we were really that deeply in trouble. We thought Judaism could fix it. We thought self-righteousness could fix it. But this text tells us that we didn't even know, but God did it anyway. It tells us that while we were yet sinners, blind in our sin, Christ died for us. And why did he do it? So we don't go to hell. No, that's not the right answer. So we can have peace with God. Man, that's so huge. We can place our faith and trust in God's promise to save anyone who accepts him. And we can have peace with him. Later in Romans 5 and verses 10 and 11, put these verses up here. Look at these. For since our friendship with God was restored. Okay, can we, just, can we just whitewash our brain for a second? I want you to see this. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, sin in the garden screwed that up. What did it screw up? What's the word? Friendship. Okay, it's really important. Our friendship with God was restored by the death of his sons while we were still his Okay, so can I just say something? I think it was Tolkien the guy who uh, was led C.S. Lewis to Christ, he made a statement. I'm not going to direct quote it, but it's something I, I was just reading it this week. He said something to the effect of misunderstanding God will destroy your religion. We can't afford to think so much. The world, Satan, has made it so much about you and I that we almost have God as an afterthought or a solution to the personal problem, and that's wrong. God is God. Hey, you may quote me. That'd be a great thing for Facebook. Mark says God is God. But I, when I, by that, what I mean is he is who he is, not who we wish he to be. He is not a God who's woke or not woke. He's not a Republican or a Democrat. He's not a socialist or a, a, you know, a, believes in democracy. That's not. He is God. He's sovereign. And for those of you and I'm conservative in my political leanings, but for those of us who think heaven is a democracy, it's not. It's not even close. It's a theocracy. God's not going to ask you what you want to do in heaven. There are no annual meetings in heaven. There's no evaluation of his plan. There's just his plan. And just like Dr. Christensen had Steve do the push-ups so everybody could have a donut, the donut has been placed before you, and you can accept his sovereignty and his salvation, or you can leave it on the desk. And everyone in this room goes, I'd like a donut, especially those of you on a diet. Everybody wants that perfect donut. Uh, and I, I think I saw one this week on Facebook. And I really don't spend that much time on it, but some things stand out. Somebody put a maple donut with, a, with bacon on top of it. Yeah, baby. Forget the donut. Just eat the bacon. You guys are really, really sick, okay? Because it's just a donut. But he died on the cross. If you asked anybody, you know, if, if, if you really had a conversation with somebody and, and they believed in a creator God and you asked them, 
Would you like a relationship with him? And you're not getting silly and you're not... Everybody wants to be the friends of the creator. That's like the most important friendship you can have. You realize that, right? I mean, the worst thing to do is to be an enemy of the one who made you when he spoke you into existence. That is not who you want to go to war with. And that's what happened at the moment of our salvation. He, he took us from enemies. Oh, that's what I was going to say and why I went into the world. Because the world wants you to believe that you are, uh, that you're friends with God. God's your friend. God just loves you. Somebody, uh, Paula White, pastor of Crazy Church. I don't want to set my opinion out here, but she's a heretic. But she wrote this week, Jesus loves you, and that's the whole story. And I couldn't help myself, but I responded on Twitter, he's also just, holy, and righteous. And you know what they did when they read that. (laughs) One of those. The truth is, he is those things. And And I want to be clear, and you don't have to believe me, you can look at Scripture. Okay? Don't believe anything I say if you don't, it can't be back with Scripture. Can I just tell you that, yes, while God loved you enough while you were yet a sinner to send, his, die to send his Son to die on the cross for your sin, He also said if you reject Him, you will depart from Him, you cursed into the everlasting fire. That God's justice, the question, the theological or doctrinal question that people hate to answer and is not asked enough is, what's a better day in God's just system? The day somebody is brought into heaven or the day somebody is cast apart from Him into eternity? And people always say, well, the day somebody's accepted into heaven, and that's a wrong answer. Because God is not just loving. He is just. He is a judge. I believe his heart is broken when he pushes people, when people choose to not eat the donut. I believe his heart is broken, but it doesn't change the effect. And the world wants to pretend, and I would argue even much of the church, while we're debating what is sin and what's not, Methodist church, I just want you to know that God is still on his throne. And even if gay marriage wasn't a sin, it's not the point. Everybody you're preaching to are sinners. Are are you following me? I mean, I, I care about, you know, gay marriage and issues like that, but to get into a debate over those things, is it sin or is it not sin? Wrong question. The, the fact is you are a sinner, whether gay marriage is your thing or homosexuality is your thing or not, you are a sinner and you need to be made right with God. So while we can debate over is gay marriage right or wrong, I'd like to argue that gluttony is a sin too, you bacon, maple, donut eating friends of mine. So is gossip, which none of you have ever done. So is lording it over people, which only three of you have done. The, the fact remains that we're all in trouble. And what Satan wants to do is get our eyes off of the big picture and put it on the small one. Well, you are going to... Who cares if, who cares if the Southern Baptist Convention rejects you or not? Can I just say that for a second? It doesn't matter whether the Assemblies of God... Don't like your life or not. All that matters is you are made right with God. And how do you do that? By declaring him as Lord, confessing your sin, and turning from, under, agreeing that sin is bad and God is good. And you're going to do life his way. It's part of the deal. And it's almost like the church is, some of the church is teaching it's not. We're in these minutia debates when the whole point is peace with God and you can't have peace with God if you're trying to make your sin right with him. Because you're arguing with him through a pastor. I'm going to go to a church that teaches this. Well, if you go to a church that teaches what you want them to teach, why go to church at all? You should be in a ministry that teaches God's word as it's written. Where one time, well, sometimes a pastor gets up there and goes, I just want to give you a heads up. I don't like this text very much, but it's still true. Because you know what? I'm accountable for the same thing you're accountable for. I need peace with God just like you. 
I mean, I dress nicer on Sundays. Why did three of you laugh? I look good this morning. I look like I'm going, you know, I'm waiting for the snow to come. I'm going skiing this afternoon. So I wore this little thing here. The fact is, I'm in this big sinful mess as you are, except that God sent his son to die, and I have accepted that gift, and I put all of my eggs in God's basket. Every egg I've got is in his basket. And I've got to tell you something. If he, doesn't re- if he doesn't redeem me as radically and unbelievable, overwhelmingly, wonderfully, like we've been studying in Romans, there is no hope for me to have peace with God. None. And I'm a pastor. You know what I mean? I'm telling you what. I've tried to convince you every week. I'm not less sinful than you are. But let's pretend I were. I'd still be in trouble. That's what's amazing about this. The point is not heaven and hell. It's peace with God. And our friendship, we were enemies with God. My lost friend, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ's offer to pay the penalty of your sin, you are the enemy of God. And it says it all over the New Testament. It's just not the means. And Paula White isn't teaching it. At least I'll feel good about myself. What a lousy thing to say on the train to hell. Seriously. The world and even the church is trying to get you to feel good about yourself. Can I just... Can I just say something offensive this morning. The problem is you're trying to put, oh boy, this is going to sound like Sarah Palin, lipstick on a pig. Even if you could redo all of this and look beautiful to yourself and have more friends and have more popularity and have more health and have everything, if you're not at peace with God, you're still screwed. You're just looking better on the way. And you know what? Inside, there's no joy. Ask Robin Williams. I know, cheap shot. Okay, I'll go older. Chris Farley, who spent the last 48 hours on drugs and begging a Methodist pastor to please offer him hope. You see, behind the scenes, we're all in the same place. You want to go older? Johnny Carson, the guy was married like eight times. That's not because he was a happy guy. We can go even older. How about Jerry, crazy guy, who did the Jerry, not Jerry Seinfeld. He's a happy guy. Okay, what? Jerry Lewis, thank you. Have you looked at some of the stuff his kids say about him? It's crazy. Some of you are like, I'm going to go read it. Don't worry about it. It's just unhappy. Without God, there's no peace with God. He made it possible. And while we're depressed about elections, if you were a Republican, can I just say last week both parties lost? It just, and you can't depend on polls. Did you, did you know that? Now, I know there was only seven of you that laughed. If I would have said that three, day, three weeks ago, you all would have laughed because you're like, most of you are conservative. You're like, <laughs> that's because the Democrats play with the polls. You know what? The conservatives were wrong this time, weren't they? Why? Because some people put their hope, David said, in chariots and horses, but I will put my hope in the Lord. Amen. Do you know what happened this week in heaven? Nothing. You may be bummed. You may be waiting for them to steal the vote in Arizona. God's still on the throne. And you can have peace with God this morning. Even if you don't have peace with life. You see, there is no peace with life. You're always going to have to work harder. What is it? Who is the guy who did the spruce goose? Help me out here. Howard Hughes. At that time, the richest man to ever live. He was asked a great question by a newspaper guy. How much money is enough? Do you remember what he said? Nobody knows? 
a little bit more. That's what I say about maple donuts with bacon on them. How many do you need, diabetic pastor? One more. We went uh, a few years ago to Round Rock, and there was a donut shop that's always on the Food Channel. Yes, I see. The rest of you fat people nodded. And, and I'll be honest, we went there and we were excited. But the, the reason we went there is because of that big donut. You guys remember that? You don't, I'm just kidding about you being fat. You all know. They have this big donut. It looks like a toilet seat. That's, that's really what it looks like. <laughs> I'm looking over here because somebody's had one. <laughs> and, and I ordered it. And I've got to be honest with you, it wasn't that great of a donut, but it sure looked good in pictures. And the, and the thing is, it's kind of where we live, isn't it? You know, we, we, we want to we look good. And I'm here to tell you that underneath that, God says, you don't have to look good for me. I love you. I will redeem you, and you don't have to be my enemy anymore. If you're upset this morning because that text infers, and by the way, it says in Colossians, you are the enemy of God if you're not his friend. If that upsets you, the ironic part about it is you don't have to be upset. Just accept his friendship. But you have to accept on his terms. Romans 5, 1 and 2. I know you're like, you got one verse done. And you said we're going through verse 11, and it's a quarter till, and the enchiladas are not going to eat themselves. <laughs> not only did Jesus do push-ups on the cross to save you from judgment, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, because you accepted the sacrificial payment of your sin, Romans 5, 2 says, Christ has brought us into a place of... Hey, can you say that on three? One, two, three. Boy, I would like to take a microphone and say, I want you to make observations about those two words for the next half hour for me. What is it? What's undeserved means? Okay, can I remind you that no matter how beautiful Joel Olstein says you are, you're worse than you think. Sorry. You're worse off than you think. Well, that isn't a very uplifting message. The gospel is good news because the bad news is terribly worse than we're being told. It's undeserved. And in Greek, the word undeserved means undeserved. not deserved. Right, very good. Okay, it's not complicated. And we got to get Christians, those of us who've been saved for many, many years, when we go after the world and their foolishness, we have to remember that the position in which we stand is also undeserved. We aren't better than them, smarter than them, just we are the friends of God because of what God did. So God has brought us into this place, this position of undeserved privilege where we now stand. It's so visual. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. Some scriptures just simply explain themselves, and this is one of those. And, and we have to, to do honor to this text. We have to ask, what is this place that he's talking about? What is this place of undeserved privilege? And it is, we stand right now in this permanent position of being his adopted children. And I want to remind you, and those of you who've never been here, the purpose of Jesus Christ's coming was to, make, to give you peace with God so that you could be the children of God. Ephesians 1.5 says that his unchanging plan since the beginning of time was to make his adopted children. Let me throw this out at you. Our position right now after sin is actually better than our position was in the garden. Because in the garden, it never calls us his children. It says that we were the most precious of his creation. But as his child right now, I'm his adopted kid. So what Jesus did made me adoptable. 
I'm actually an heir to the throne of God. You are looking this morning at royalty. I know some of you are like, yeah, right. I'm fat, but I'm royal. Seriously. I am a child of God adopted into his family. It tells me in Ephesians chapter 1 that I am the joint heir with Christ, which means everything Jesus is getting in eternity, I get with him. Heaven isn't God's home where I hang out. Heaven is my home. And it's my property because of what God's done. And I have peace with God. It's incredible. And to put icing on the cake, not only, and, and I may, this, this is just the way my mind thinks, so if you don't like us, it's okay. But not only am I his adopted child, I grew up with the idea that God loved me. I, I, you know, we say it on the phone. We say it at the church all the time. Hey, great to talk to you today, Cecil. I, I hope things are going well. How's work good? Uh, going to scuba dive, that's great. Hey, man, I hope you have a good vacation with your wife. I love you, and hang up. We, we do that. Texans do that. You've adopted me. I like that. I like telling people that I care about, I love them. But love has become kind of cheap. I want you to think about this for a second. Not only are you the adopted child of God, which can happen because God pities you, but the other thing is you are his friend. How crazy is that? God doesn't just love you. He likes you. And, and to me, I actually like like better than love. Because love's been cheapened in my world. I'm not saying that it's not more important. I'm just saying that for me, I kind of get his love. I've been told that since I was six hours old. But to think that God actually likes me? And then my mind goes, starts going crazy because I realize, well, he created me. Why wouldn't he like me? Well, he doesn't like me when I'm an enemy of him. But now that he's redeemed me, and His Holy Spirit has been given to transform me, and I'm becoming more like His image and sanctification. We'll talk about that in January. He actually likes me. God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that He could hang out with me. How crazy is that? I mean, it's remarkable, and I know it's like, well, that's just another, that's just another preaching angle. It's the truth. One of the things that happened in the garden is they used to walk in the cool of the day with God. He enjoyed being with Adam and Eve, and we screwed that up, and now God's rebuilding that. I'm no longer his enemy, I'm his friend. And that just rocks my world. You might say, well, pastor, that's fine and good for the next life. But I'm having a really hard time in this life. Being a friend of God, this position of undeserved privilege, it's, it, it isn't paying dividends for me now, and I want it to. First warning, and, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's what you feel. We all feel it at one time or another, but I do want to put a little warning to this. That's exactly where Satan sneaks in with heretical teaching. Because we want what we want. And we all want a good life. We all want more money. We all want a donut with maple and bacon on it. We all want that. I know some of you, you want, I mean, Wendy, she just loves seaweed. It's so gross. Her office smells like fish all the time so hard, but she does such good work, I just can't fire her. But if Wendy could have, I see you back there, Wendy. If Wendy could have that seaweed dipped, I mean, I, I spent most of my youth trying to spit seaweed out. I just don't know why we'd want to put it in our mouth. And I have no idea what kale is, okay? I just don't know. I don't, you guys, you, you are wasting your life eating that stuff. I'm telling you, it doesn't even work when you cook it and bake it. It's just so bad. Eat the bad stuff. Heaven's good. So, I don't even remember what I was going to say about that. It was so good. It was life. Squirrel. 
but it's important when it comes to seaweed. It just throws me off. I open my door, and it's like, whoa, jeez, Wendy, close your door. We're getting, we're getting a candle this week. I'm going to... Oh, it's fine and good, um, but life is hard, and I'm struggling, and I, I just, I'm, I'm dealing with depression and all. Romans 5.3 says this, and, and by the way, depression's a real thing, and it's a lot of times physiological, and there's help, help available to you. Can I just say that? If you go to the doctor for a headache, it's okay to, and, and you take an aspirin, it's, it's okay to take for a pill for anxiety. I don't, I don't know what we've done in the church. It's a gift. And, and, well, it's not natural. Everything at some point was natural, even plastic, just so you know, okay? I mean, it didn't come out of the air. God didn't make out of the ground plastic. It's natural. It's okay. But life is hard. I mean, I, this week was very discouraging for many people who put their hope in politics. I'm not slamming you. It just is. And Cecil's very upset about a and I see it on, all over Facebook. I, I don't know who that person is, but he is not happy with him. We're, we're, we've all got stuff, right? I mean, good stuff, bad stuff, we're all disappointed. And even the Astros winning didn't make most of you happy enough. The truth is, when the Astros win, we high-five each other, and then we go on with our life, and something happens, you know? When you have peace with God, what's the worst thing that can happen? If you're the friend of God, how can you have joy in such a difficult season? Because God's my friend. Well, it doesn't look like it's doing much good for you now. Oh, Paul knew you would think that. So in Romans chapter 5, the very next verse, verse 3, right after saying we're friends with God, listen to this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Oh, you mean those aren't the, 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 the result of the lack of faith or unfaithfulness? No, it's life. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength and character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. All this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time to die for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were not good. Okay, now how, how interesting is that? We like to throw that, throw that out there, especially on Memorial Day and stuff. The greater love has no man than this, and one would lay down his life for his friends. Well, actually, the context of this is, well, God laid down his life for his enemies. Do, do you see that? I'm not making it up. But God showed his great love as opposed to good love. People will die for a good man. People will probably die for a really good man. But God died for his enemies. He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, are you getting this? While we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us the friends of God. Can I just be clear? God's a pretty good friend to have. If you're a Republican, God's a great friend to have because he never loses elections and his polls are never off. And if you are a Democrat, God's a pretty good friend to have. Because your leadership and your party are all dying in the next five years. They're in trouble. They're old. What, was that funny? I, 
I mean, just, okay, I'm going to stop now or I'm going to get political. The truth is, some people put their hope in horses and military, but David said, we put our hope in the Lord. And I think that one of the things God is doing in our country is trying to get his church to refocus herself on her Lord. And many will not, but some of us will. Why do you say that? That's so discouraging. Well, if the road to heaven is narrow, then the road to being a disciple is even narrower. The truth is that Jesus Christ came to give us an abundant life, but not a trouble-free life. Well, aren't they the same? Absolutely not. You see, the abundant life, the satisfying life, which is what the Greek actually says, the satisfying life is the great adventure of life where you trust the Lord. And some of us are going to be stoned to death like Stephen, and some of us are going to get bad haircuts, and some of us are going to end up with cancer, but we are all going home 10 seconds after we're dead. And that brings us peace. That no matter what happens to this country or to A&M's football game, it doesn't matter. I'm just teasing with you, Cecil. You're looking at me like you're mad at me. Did I hurt your feelings? going to give you a hug when this is over, buddy. The, the, the truth is they all get to us, don't they? They get under our skin. And God is going, that's because you're not looking high enough. You are my friend. You are my friend. You see, we really weren't saved from hell. We were saved from being the enemies of God. We were saved so we could be declared holy so that, so that we could be made the children of God, the friends of God, so that no matter what happens in this life, we can go be with God. And actually, eternal life doesn't start an eighth of a second after death. It starts at the moment of rebirth. And so we are living eternal lives right now. We just have to reorient our thoughts away from Washington, D.C. and Hollywood and whatever else is ailing you and put it on Jesus. Because this life is rough. Even on your best day, it's rough. Because on your best day, you're going to wonder when the other shoe's going to fall, right? Because that's how our flesh works. And God says, I've got that covered too. And by the way, this is why we were told to take communion all the time together. Because it's a moment in time where we do something to remind us that the price is paid and we are no longer the enemies of God. We are at peace with God. Would you grab the really bad-tasting piece of bread? The gluten-free piece of bread. There are two parts of communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, it tells us that his body was broken for us. There is nothing, why does that matter? There is nothing you're facing right now, discouragement, depression, sadness, grief, that Jesus Christ didn't feel, including temptation. Really, really, really wanting to give in to temptation. Jesus was tempted 40 days in the wilderness. And the reason he, wrote, he quoted Scripture to respond to the devil wasn't because it was easy for him. I don't understand how God could be tempted or how all I know is it tells us in Hebrews that he was genuinely tempted in every way. All I know is that he endured and he's the model and if he was willing to, to live this life for us, we can trust him with our lives. So let's take this bread together and remember what he's done for us. Jesus, your humanity, it makes you relatable. It, 
It helps us understand that we have a, a sympathetic high priest. It helps us to realize that you understand our struggles with our parents, our friends. You even had a Judas in your, in your elder board that turned his back on you. And so when I get nervous about ministry and church and life and people understanding and you're on the throne next to the Father going, I get it. Thank you for getting it. But that's not what saved us. What saved us is your death, burial, and resurrection. And what saves us is that you have removed the penalty of our sins so that we could go from enemies of God to friends of God. We could go from creation, simply being a creation, to a child of God. And because of that, we drink together this grape juice that reminds us of the blood of Christ that's, that takes away all of our sin. Let's take together. We thank you, Jesus, for all of this and that we can live an abundant life because we have peace with God. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. We've got lots of stuff going on at Christmas. Be praying about who you can invite to celebrate with us this Christmas. God bless you guys and have a wonderful day. <laughs> you know, we all are. Let me give you a hug. I heard you amen and God speaking amen so much to me. I just, we're just so blessed to have you here.